I'm the star I played confused, behaved as if I had no part The songs were mostly written in early 2020, even pre-pandemic. There were a handful, maybe early pandemic days. And then we got together to record it in August of 2021 at my friend and producer Johnny Sankster's studio, Crackle and Pop, in Seattle. That's Lincoln Barr. I'm Jamie Green. And this is Trading Force. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Green, and it's beginning to feel like spring here in Kansas City. You know, it was like in the 60s yesterday. I got to go outside and do what I call my shuffle jog uh, and almost got warm. So this is a wonderful thing. Spring is a wonderful thing. And one of the things with these temperatures getting warmer and the days getting longer means you should be going to more live music shows wherever you live in the world. If you look at the live concert schedule here in Kansas City, it's getting crazy busy. Yours truly is scurrying from an acoustic duo show with my buddy Blake Eberhard this Wednesday afternoon, all the way and then going all the way from Overland Park down to the Madrid Theater to see Eric Johnson play live, which should be a ton of fun as always. Eric's episode continues to be the most popular episode ever this podcast. But that's not all you should be thinking about going to and experiencing because today's guest, Lincoln Barr, will be at the Mini Bar on Thursday, March 9th. So here's your chance to break out of the winter hibernation and become one with the world again. On that bill is also Dan Jones and the Squids and Fred Wickham's Caravan. Faithful listeners of this podcast will know that Fred Wickham is not only a previous guest here, but also a friend. And I've worked with Fred's wife, Joni, for the day job for a number of years, and she's great too. Lincoln Barr was anchored in the Pacific Northwest for years, but he grew up up and down Missouri, Mississippi, those areas. So whether it's Cape Girardeau or Cameron, Missouri, he's really knows his way around Kansas City, and he's excited to play here Thursday and see a bunch of people he knows. For years, he was the front man for Red Jacket Mine, a rock slash pop group out of Seattle. But in 2019, he moved with his wife to South Carolina for her professional career. That launched his solo work, including his album in the fall of 2022. That is the reason for this current tour. Lincoln zoomed in from South Carolina before he hit the road, and we had a great chat about his music, Ian Moore, Jason Faulkner, Big Star. Super excited to be talking about Big Star for the first time on the podcast. And then how childhood trauma reverberates through life. He's very thoughtful and insightful, so I know you're going to enjoy this chat. Here's my conversation with Lincoln Barr. So, Lincoln, thanks so much for doing this. You know, um, usually when I have somebody that comes from out of town, we have to, like, talk about Kansas City and people don't understand that, you know, it's Missouri and Kansas. But I, I listened to one of your podcast interviews with somebody else and, and you actually went to college in Cape Girardeau. So I'm guessing you know all about Kansas City, correct? Quite a bit. Yeah, I, I even grew up uh, in part in in and near Cameron, Missouri um, for okay. a few years. And I still have family in the area and definitely some close friends in and independence in Kansas City proper. So I've, I've been there a handful of times for, for sure. Well, that's cool. So one of the people you're playing with, so this is going to go live a week from today. So out on March 3rd, and you're going to be here the next week. So for people listening to this, you have an opportunity when you get to know Lincoln a little bit to come out and see him play live, which is cool. And you're playing with my buddy Fred Wickham is on your bill. I don't know if you know Fred at all. Oh, yeah. 
I don't, but I'm really, really looking forward to meeting him. I've heard a lot of great things from Steve at the uh, record bar and mini bar. He, he recommended him and I'm really happy that they could uh, join the bill. Yeah. Fred's great. He's, he's, he's a, he's a, what you got to ask him is Waylon Jennings tour bus story because Fred at one point owned Waylon Jennings, 1980s tour bus bus, um, which is kind of funny. And I actually, Whoa. I'm <laughs> friends with his wife too. And that's from my day job thing. Uh, Cause I work in, on, in public policy. Okay. And she, she had a very different oh, cool. feeling about there being a Waylon Jennings bus uh, on their property than Fred did. <laughs> she was imagine. not nearly as enthused. That, that, that bus had seen some stuff. Oh my God. He finally <laughs> got rid of it. But yeah, ask, I, I told them they should make it into an Airbnb and then you could like, you know, say, hey, you want to spend a night wailing Jenny's? Oh yeah. Right? It'd be a destination. Exactly. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. But they got rid of it. But anyway, so this will be fun. So I got to listen to your album. This was a lot of fun. Like, I really enjoyed this album. You know, um, it's very... It's not lush, it's sparse, but you've got some like soprano sax going on. You got some strings going on. So talk to me a little bit about the album that came out. I know it came out in October, but I assume this is why you're touring to, to promote it. So let's talk about, was yeah. it during COVID times you recorded it? When, when were you recording it? Kind of, uh, I mean, yeah, not, not at the height of COVID times. The songs were mostly written in early 2020, even pre-pandemic. There were a handful, maybe early pandemic days. And then we got together to record it in August of 2021 at my friend and producer Johnny Sankster's studio, Crackle and Pop in Seattle. So everyone was kind of coming off of isolation. Um, my, my friend and the drummer on the album, John Convertino, who will be with us in Kansas City, he was just starting to tour again with Calexico. And then the pianist, Daniel Walker, who's been a core collaborator of mine for a decade, he tours with Amy Ray and, and some others. And so both of those guys get really busy really quickly. And I had this golden opportunity to get them all in the studio before uh, before touring started up in earnest again. Yeah, it's it's interesting too. And I, I know you're in South Carolina and I, I love how honest you are because the, the interview I listened to, uh, the guy was like, you've been in South Carolina and, and, you, and you know, usually people are kind of different. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but I, you were like, I'm, I'm ready to leave. It's your wife that's doing a residency, right? <laughs> Yeah, she's a child and adolescent psychiatrist, so very noble, and she's amazing. She's really, really good at it, and that's why we're here, right? And it's nothing personal against South Carolina. It's just I think we miss our community that we built in the Northwest, and there are just limited opportunities and kind of outlets for, certainly for what I do. Um, the music scene here doesn't necessarily seem to be uh, very well aligned, so we'll be happy to, to move on, but it's been a pleasant season. What, where, where, what part of South Carolina are you in? Columbia Central. Okay. It's interesting. Midland, I suppose they call it. <laughs> okay. You know, I've only been to, uh, what's the beach that's right on the border with Georgia? That's my experience with South Carolina. I've not spent a Oh, long. okay. I'm trying to think of what that would be, but uh, I know the Hilton area. Head. Hilton Head. Hilton Head. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, but I had Chris McLernan on, who was the basis for Saigon Kick and stuff, and he lives oh, yeah. in he, he lives in Charleston, and, and he he digs. Charleston's it. nice. It's a fun place for sure. Yeah, I, I like spending time there. the The great thing about where we are right now is that it's it's very quick and easy to get to lots of great places like Charleston or Charlotte, even Raleigh Durham. Um, Asheville is really amazing. So there's lots of places within reach, but the immediate uh, locality is not the, as inspiring. Yeah, that's fine. 
That's fair. I, I, like I said, I, I, I appreciated you being honest about it, you know, because you don't, you know, I, I, I just turned 55 this week, Lincoln. I think one of the things about, you know, a lot of things getting older suck, but I, I like the fact that I just, I, I don't want to say I don't care about anything, but I care a lot less. Like, I'm like, nah, if I don't want to say I don't like it, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I mean, you know, I, I try not to be too negative and I'm probably am judging this area a little bit more harshly. If it weren't for, COVID and, and, and that sort of aspect of the last four years, it's possible that we would have made more connections and, you know, there'd be more gigs and all sorts of things. Uh, so I don't want to judge the place too harshly. It's more of a, it's more of a feeling, right? It's just sort of, a, this sure. isn't necessarily home for us. And well, and yeah, I definitely, I, I can relate to, I don't know, I think that, and this comes, this relates back to the music too. I think the older I get, the less I'm interested in any sort of like pretense or or persona put you know putting that across in the music and more just sort of just being open and vulnerable and trying to be as sincere as possible yeah no i i, I totally heard that in your music I, it's it's just interesting you know we we lived in phoenix for two years because my wife my wife um when she got out of law school she had a job offer and it was it was great for two years like we made yeah. friends and it was stuff um you know we're pretty progressive politically so arizona was a little yeah. especially back back then man um so we right. just and we decided to come back to kansas city because kansas city's home so i totally oh get cool it. okay yeah so let's talk about seattle a little bit just because gosh i've had so many seattle artists on uh, uh ian moore um oh yeah i know ian well mm -hmm. isn't ian great um yeah he's, he's amazing he's such he's a good amazing. guy too um i played so, just a tiny bit on one of his records and it was a little it was a lot of fun but yeah we've known each other for 13 years or something like that yeah, and he kind of he does it the right way because he's out on Vashon Island where he yeah. kind of gets away from the world, right? Yeah, it's a it's another world out there for sure. Yeah, and they've got their own they've got their little compound out there, and Ian's got a great studio, and so yeah, I'm super happy for them. They've they seem to be exactly where they belong. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, I've had a jazz artist, Jacqueline Tabor, on, and I'm kind of trying to think of all the people. Have. Seattle is you know people pigeonhole Seattle so much as being grunge, which was great, and. And certainly I love a lot of bands out there, but there's a really vibrant, beautiful music scene that has nothing to do with that there, correct? Oh yeah, I mean, there's just, just about anything that you're into, you can find your tribe there. And that's, you know, it, that's why it was so seminal for me to live there uh, when I did, right? I, I was able to, through my, my work at, at, at a guitar store, and then just being out on the scene and gigging and going to shows four or five nights a week, which you can do in a city like Seattle, really it, it it not only just sort of kind of supported me but it also it, it helped me grow and and kind of discover my my voice um through sort of bouncing off of all, all these other really inspiring artists so yeah there's an incredible like avant jazz scene definitely pull from some of those musicians for uh for my records and you know bill frizzell lived in seattle for a long time he's back in new york now uh but keith lowe who plays bass on my record is super active with wayne horvitz and robin holcomb and yeah there's just so much great music it's an amazing place very very expensive nowadays though yeah i got a buddy who he sold his place in capitol hill for and it was this like dinky little grungy kind of dank uh apartment for a yeah. ridiculous amount of money because he I bought it, it in 1998 oh yeah 
and now he lives out it's actually kind of funny so like i said i turned 55 he kind of lied he's going to be 55 in june so he lives in like a 55 and older place and like he and his partner love it because like they drive a golf cart around and they have like <laughs> drinks at the club and anyway it's just kind of fun just, it doesn't oh care. that's funny Isn't yeah that you funny? don't often get that i mean it's, it's sort of like the senior discount uh, i guess in a way but uh that, that's really interesting isn't that funny so um for people are getting where'd you grow up lincoln well, it's really complicated. I grew up in the sort of greater Mississippi River Valley, but I lived a lot of different places. So I was born in Cape Girardeau. I lived there for uh, there and in that area for a few years. Then we moved up to the Kansas City, St. Joe area, lived there for a couple of years. Back to southeast Missouri, southern Arkansas, northwest Mississippi, and back to southeast Missouri again. So uh, Missouri and Mississippi is what I normally say, and that's mostly true. So is that because your dad or mom, the job kept moving around? What what was what yeah. made this peripatetic? Yeah, more or less. I mean, it's my dad was in insurance, um, which isn't necessarily the he, the industry you would think. He wasn't in the military or something like that, at least not in my lifetime. But yeah, I think it was more of a uh, almost like a, a hereditary itch um in in my family my my father he moved around twice as much as we as i did when he was a kid and i think there was just some of that in him and, and you know honestly it's about i think it's just about seeking something on the outside that you that you can only find on the inside and then and and you know that's not to put him down it, i i can totally relate but uh but yeah, definitely, uh, you know, itinerant uh, upbringing for sure, uh, and 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 adulthood so far. But I think my wife and I are looking forward to finding a place where we can settle down a little bit more uh, when she's done with her residency. Do you have any clue? What are you thinking? Where do you want to well, go? We, we really like Chicago. Um, there's that talk about another city where there's just so much amazing music of yeah. every stripe that you can imagine. Um, not crazy about the winters in Chicago. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I got a real dose of that when I was making this record, we went in January, 2022 to, for the last overdubs on the record with, uh, Kelly Hogan and, uh, Nora O'Connor and Casey McDonough from the flat five who we're playing with here in a couple weeks at, in Evanston, Illinois. Um, and yeah, I don't think it got above 15 degrees the entire three days that we were there. Um, so not crazy about that and you know certainly kansas city knows all about harsh winters too yeah but uh, chicago really, another level of awful it's, right it's true <laughs> there with the lake and everything and the wind yeah it's, mm. it's pretty insane yeah we also really like durham north carolina so we might end up not moving so far which you know it's uh we got a lot of critters around here and those cross-country multi-day moves aren't a lot of fun so it it uh mm. it's definitely appealing to have some place that's within a day driving distance absolutely so we're growing up so the the only thing i know about cape Girardeau, lincoln you probably want to slap me through the, the camera even though you can't see me for some reason um is that it had like one of the worst uh earthquakes ever in like the eight, early 1800s so you know people in kansas city are kind of into kansas city and i think people in st louis are kind of into st louis and stuff so what for you growing is it i mean you're so close to memphis geographically right. so from a musical standpoint did you get a lot of that kind of influence what was it like for you as a kid there well, that's very perceptive of you to say that, and I'm not sure if that would be the case for everyone, but one thing that I'll call out that anybody from Missouri probably already knows, but Southeast Missouri is the South. It is not the Midwest. <laughs> so right. let's just get that out of the way. And, um, and, uh, and so that is very much a part of the culture. 
And so when you couple that with some of my family ties, which are more from Arkansas and Mississippi, and the fact that I did live uh, in a, essentially a suburb of Memphis during the most formative time of my childhood, about 10 to 14, that's when I started playing music and all that thing. I definitely ha have a more of an affinity with that that Memphis sort of sound. It's obviously tons of great music from St. Louis and Kansas City too, but um, but Memphis has really resonated with me at sort of a atomic level uh, for as long as I can remember. Yeah, well, Big Star alone, I mean. Exactly, <laughs> that's, <right? laughs> that's pretty much ground zero, yeah, for me and Alex Chilton in particular is just, um, I, I, a friend once pointed out that he thought that my guitar playing reminded him of Alex Chilton, which I don't necessarily see, but was an amazing compliment. And the only thing that I could honestly say was Alex's influence is so large and so acute for me that I can't even see it. Uh, I've spent so much time with his music that it's, it's, it's deep in there. It's interesting. It's almost, um, I don't want to think it's a secret password among musicians, but there is a little bit of a nod of the head. Like, you know, if you were into big star, like in the nineties, yeah. Early on, like you were like, I, I, I worked in a record store and, um, somebody had a copy of big star and, you know, now it's like $700 to buy it. Like, oh, God. yeah. Right. The original one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it was so, and then obviously Chris Bell and um, all of that stuff is such, it's such a cool thing. And then you've got the stack stuff. I mean, Memphis is another town where it's been pigeonholed as a certain thing, but there's all kinds of music that came out of that town. Oh my you don't God, know about. punk rock, all sorts yep. of stuff. Yeah, no, it's true. I'll tell you a funny story about Big Star. So I, so I uh, graduated high school in 2000. So um, a, a little bit behind the curve there in terms of maybe, you know, hearing about Big Star directly through REM and the DBs and stuff like that. I found out about it a little bit later, but the first record that I picked up at a record store, I believe in Columbia, Missouri, uh, was uh, third. Okay. Uh, and. I didn't, it was just the CD that they had back in the, the day when that was how you found music, right? You went in the record store, you looked for the band name that you were find, you know, looking for and you bought what they had. Um, and so I fell in love with that record. It was not at all what I was expecting based on what I'd read, but I fell in love with that record and it got in deep and still one of my all time favorites. Then uh, my wife and I were visiting Memphis um, in probably 2002 and we were in Shangri-La Records, which is an amazing record store. Um, and they told us that Big Star was playing at a music festival in Oxford, Mississippi. So we, we were like, well, hell yeah, let's go. And we drove down and we saw, we saw Big Star the latter day line up with John and Ken from the Posies um, play a great, great set. But I was really wondering, I'm like, why aren't they playing any of their hits? <laughs> right. <laughs> from from third, I don't think, you know, they played a single song, which makes total sense, having now right gotten intimately familiar with the first couple records. But it was pretty funny at the time. You know, everyone everyone knew all the songs except for me, but I still loved it. No, it's great. Um, it's I watched the documentary, I think it's on Amazon recently. Yeah. And it's it's just um gosh, it's some of that's just so heartbreaking, you know, oh, um, how they just, you know, especially Chris's life. And then, you know, Alex, I mean, the guy dies because he's got heart problems, but he can't, he doesn't have health insurance. Right. Um, yeah. it's, it's so sad how we treat musicians. I mean, it's really bad. I, I you really know, he should, everybody should be able to go to a doctor if they don't feel well. 
a hundred percent. Yeah. No matter what they do. Right. But you're right that art is really just, I think that's the thing is like art is really undervalued in our society. Our society right now is just really obsessed with data and, and how to quantify everything. And if, if you can't easily quantify the value of something, it's essentially deemed uh, worthless. And I think uh, any musician who's, who's serious about their craft can, uh, can probably relate to that. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting you say that because I think, um, and people are like, how do you pick people for this podcast? And it's, it's a menagerie of reasons why, um, yeah. but we just, we've already talked about Ian and we talk about Jason Faulkner. And those are two of my favorite songwriters ever, yeah. um, especially Gen X level. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and they are doing, you know, if, if you ask me, Jason Faulkner should be out touring playing Jason Faulkner's music. Jason Faulkner should not have to be, and, and I'm not throwing shade. I think that St. Vincent's great. And I really sure. appreciate what, she, and we actually saw them in concert and she does a great job. Um, but that's kind of not what Jason Faulkner should be having to do. Yeah. Um, and I feel the same way, you know, whenever Ian comes to town, I always, I always do his merch for him because I, oh, I cool. as a way to just kind of say, I appreciate you and whatever I can do to help. And that's another one where you just, there, I mean, I know, my mom always used to say, Lincoln, when I was a kid, you know, life is not fair. That was one of her yeah. big mantras. Uh, but sometimes it seems really unfair uh, yeah. for musicians, you know. Well, well, my dad, his his mantra was, life is full of disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he wasn't wrong. And I think about it a lot. But it, fortunately, it's full of a lot of other things, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I would think that if you asked, you know, uh, I did not ask them directly, but, you know, um, both Ian and Jason, they do their life their way. Um, right. And they they do it the way that they want to do it. You know, the joke with Jason is like, when's the album coming out? Um, and I guess the album's coming out when Jason's ready to have the album out. Like, he's, right. he, he I, I joked with him when I had him on. I was like, I said, you got to stop heightening people's expectations. You've got to just say, hey, I'm never doing another album. Um, because <laughs> I know, be surprised. Yeah. right? Because I know in his heart, he believes he's going to get this out on a day and he just, it never happens. Um, yeah. It's not a nefarious reason, but he's a perfectionist. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, I, I definitely, I, I certainly admire his music and, and a lot of people that you would probably categorize that way. I, I think that's one thing that I'm, I, obviously, I don't have a lot of the talents that somebody like Jason Faulkner has, and certainly the versatility I don't have. Um, but I think one thing that I learned early on, probably by necessity, is the value of collaboration. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, and, and putting limitations on your projects so that you can um, move on, right? You can do the best that you can in the moment and and move on. And, you know, I, I think one of, not one of, my absolute favorite book of all time is Narcissus and Goldman by Herman Hesse. And there's a line in that book that has always rung really true for me about, essentially the, 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 the concept is, there's one thing that all serious people share and 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 that's that in the end our work makes us feel ashamed and each and we have to start again and each time the sacrifice must be made anew is i think is what it says and and i really relate that to making records right like you're always going to look back and there's going to be things like um if i could do that again today i would maybe do it a little bit differently or i wouldn't do that song or i'd take another t crack at that song and that's just part of the process 
this, but I, I really do love having a being surrounded by a group of co collaborators that can help to sort of keep me honest in the moment and motivate me to to be the best that I can put and 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 finish things and get them out in the world where they can do their work and have their own life and I can keep working on getting better right and 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 put that energy into the next thing so that's what works for me but you can't argue with the results of a Jason Faulkner or a John Bryan or people like that either yeah I don't know how you do it all yourself I mean I, I that sounds insane uh you oh, can do it I, yeah yeah, uh, I, I always want to be like, how do you hit, how do you hit record and then get back to the drums? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, Emmett Rhodes, the kind of the original, you know, ar archetypal uh, one man band pop genius guy. I think I read in a tape op magazine that he, yeah, he would, it, it, he would literally have to start the tape machine, run across the room, right? <laughs> yeah. Nowadays, they make it a little bit easier, but uh, it still it requires a lot of juggling. Well, you know, you gave me a really nice segue about collaborations. So let's talk about the people that you have playing on this album, because mm -hmm. um, you've got a lot of great people on this album. Uh, yeah. you, you talked a little bit about John uh, Convertino. I hope I'm pronouncing his right, his name yeah. right. Mm -hmm. And you got Keith Lowe on here, and you got Johnny Sangster on here, yeah. and you, Daniel Walker on here. And a bunch of special guests too. So let me, you know, um, you talked a little bit about the Chicago part. So these are these the people that have done stuff with Mavis Staples. Am I remembering that correctly? Tell me about these folks. That's that's right. Yeah, Kelly Kelly's a regular feature in Mavis's band and has been for the last few years. Kelly Hogan. Um, but going back further, uh, she has played for many, many years with Nico Case and sings, I think, on basically all of her records. So does Nora O'Connor, who also sings on, on my record. And Nora has been super active singing with uh, Andrew Bird, Iron and Wine, lots of lots of other acts, in addition to making her own great music, as as does Kelly. Um, and then Casey McDonough, it rounds out that that uh, vocal trio from Chicago, and he plays bass in NRBQ and has for quite a few years. And so just super, super talented musicians and amazingly generous folks um, that, you know, were, were just really gave of themselves to, to, to help make my songs better and, uh, and then are sort of bringing us along. And, and helped quite a bit with uh, with the setup of this tour, um, specifically the date in Chicago, but also Kelly uh, put in the good word for us in Madison and uh, Milwaukee and really grateful for that. No, I, people ask me, you know, I, I played out for years, but I've just done cover stuff. So, you know, okay. which is a whole nother thing. I, you know, which is fine, but it's not yeah. creative. So I don't really ever talk about myself that much on these interviews. But, you know, people always ask me, it's like, what's the best part about playing out? And I'm always like, it's the collaboration with other people. That's what makes yeah. music the most fun. Absolutely. Yeah. I think as long as I get to do that, that's my, that's my, my nourishment. Right. And, and, and certainly, right. That extends to your audience. Um, the people that really you can tell they really hear what you're doing and they get something out of it. It may not be what you intended, but they're still they're they're getting something and giving back to you. I mean, I think that's that's a that's a collaboration in itself. Um, and as long as that's happening, I, I feel like I'm on the the right path. Absolutely. It just it just always enriches your life to have other people's point of view in a creative process. Well, well put, or just in general, right? Like uh, it, it's all about uh, kind of that diverse backgrounds and, and just the, you know, you, you can, it's re really great reminder that you can be really, really close to someone and still, and, and realize that they see the world in a completely different way than you do. Um, in fact, there's a song on my record called Safe for Dreaming. It opens up the second side 
and it's a little bit about that. It's sort of the the lens is through like an intimate relationship, um, but it's essentially about how you know people can share a bed and still be worlds apart, and yet, right? Uh, they can they they meet, right? Uh, they find a place to meet, and I I don't know. I think that I've really as you as you as you grow up right and maybe hopefully maybe you start to uh shed some of your um projections and things right and you start to sort of see the world or see other people for who they are and not who you you want them to be um it's a very humbling experience and that's the this record is full of that yeah no i think that's true and, and i think another thing i'm actually going to have florence door on next um and she did this whole book and I, I think you'll probably agree with this. I think great artists, whether they're you know musicians or actually physical art or whatever, they seem to be great readers. Do you find that too? Like people are like voracious readers and they can bring that to to bear. I think that's true. I mean, I definitely I'm I, I don't know that I'm a great artist. I, I certainly aspire to be, but I'm definitely a voracious reader and, and I get a lot, a lot of nourishment and input from that. Uh, and it's not to say that I read a book and write a song about that book, but it just it's all about yeah shaping your worldview and sort of expanding uh, your horizons and and books have been that for me for a long, long time. Well, I think it's a little bit it's almost subconsciously that it's feeding into your brain a little bit. yeah, um, and then also just the the meter like like a great writer has this great meter right and and yeah. you know we were talking about where you kept your so like for people who don't know who this person is i'm sure you will because you're you know, your missouri roots but like daniel woodrell is a great writer who has a really specific meter and the way he writes and how he captures south he's southwestern missouri but still that oh, okay you know that kind of they, they call it um southern nor or something like he has a thing yeah. but, you know so winter's bone which is that's okay. probably what he's known the best right for. right uh, but that kind of stuff just feeds your soul. And I think then there's no way that you can't put some of that into your own art. I mean, when it comes right down to it, I think that for me anyway, it's about empathy, right? Um, and and when you start, when you see the world, when you kind of get inside somebody else's life and see the world through their eyes, hopefully that that has uh, benefits and repercussions out in the, out in your real world. Um, and and songwriting is that too, right? It's about it's about transmitting, right? Whatever it is that you have to give, and hopefully that's that's received and and it's useful. Yeah. Well, I think you sell your short self a little short because I watched some of your clips of you, just you and your jazz master playing guitar, and you clearly um, you know more than just roots and fifths and sevenths, and I mean you, <laughs> you you can play some good jazz chords and stuff. So let's talk a little bit about your development as a musician. So yeah. when did you get started, and how did you develop your like guitar skills? Well, let's see. I've I've been playing for about twenty eight years or something at this point. So I started when I was uh, like 13 years old. And, you know, this was the alt rock boom of the 90s. And so I was definitely limited to, to power chords and things like that for a long time. But I think that I've always been drawn to more complex harmony. Um, and I just it took me a while to be able to actually harness that and for my own music. Uh, but I've always been drawn to chords that aren't don't neatly fit into one box, whether it's major or minor or 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 whatever the case may be, uh, because I find that that extended harmony 
it suggests sort of unnameable feelings, um, it, things that aren't just sort of just happy or just sad or whatever it might be. And in, you know, everyone knows that that's, that's what the real human experience is like. It's all, it's all mixed up together. Um, so it wasn't until I started writing the songs for my first solo record, Trembling Frames, which came out in 2017, that that all started to really coalesce in my own music. Um, and that record, I think probably to anyone who wasn't me, probably felt like a big shift um, because I had been making more overt kind of power pop, pub rock uh, music with my band Red Jacket Mine for about a decade. And then here comes this left turn that is very, uh, you know, noir, jazz, dealing with uh, a lot of really, you know, heavy topics uh, about uh, the, my childhood of uh, of abuse and trauma and then how that sort of uh was playing out in my in my modern day you know present and and personal life and so that was probably a pretty jarring shift and i think one thing that i'm really proud of is that in the year since even though i'm really proud of that record and still uh still love it i'll be playing a lot of those songs on this upcoming tour the songs from the new record i feel like are a little bit more well integrated um, in terms of all of the, the scope of all of my influences and maybe and just have a broader perspective. So I was able to still keep a lot of that jazz harmony and sort of the complex structures, whether that's coming from the Great American Songbook or Burt Bacharach or whatever the case may be, bringing in things like soul music and and more kind of uh, overt, you know, pop hooks uh, again. And I think that it, it just makes for a something that's really true to to who I am and doesn't uh and isn't easily pinned down in a single genre yeah well you know um I took jazz guitar lessons there's a phenomenal oh. guitar player here named Danny Embry um who, oh. who played with Sergio Mendez and I mean he's oh just, wow he's one of those guys that just you know ridiculously good and when I took lessons from him because I wanted to go back you know I was the same way Lincoln I was you know let's do a power chord or maybe I'll play a minor or seventh if I'm you know yeah. crazy you know i'm getting crazy um <laughs> but he said you know we talked a lot about the colors of music mm, and, how, and how you I color that musical palette and then also about tension and release yes that there's a lot of that if you do it well like you can just and people don't know what they're hearing right they don't know but it's just it it, it intrigues them from an ear standpoint um uh, and you know i think if you're my best analogy when i tell people is if if you're a great painter, you're not going to just use four colors, right? Right. So you have this by using those extensions, whether it's a thirteenth or whatever, it just opens yeah. up your palette musically, correct? Absolutely, right? Yeah, and think it's it's all about things that are felt and not necessarily recognized and on a conscious level, at least for me. Um, I might be able to then work out, okay, this is that chord and this is that chord and 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 this is why these things work together. But it has to work at that intuitive feeling level. Otherwise, it's it's just um, it's just math, right? So. Yeah, there's a lot of math in music, but if you don't if you <laughs> don't have the feeling with it, yeah, it doesn't work. Doesn't work at all. So I I listened to the new album obviously, and I listened to a little bit of your 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 pop stuff from Seattle and stuff. So this this oh, cool. previous this previous album. Um, 
It's interesting when your art, your personal life and art and how much you expose of your personal life and your personal experiences within your art. Um, I think we, I don't know if it was before this interview started, but we talked a little bit about John Brodeur and he has a Bird Street, which the people haven't listened to it. I, I would yeah. tell them very much that his new album is Fabulous Lagoon, but man, it's, it's all about his alcoholism and his oh, divorce. Wow. Um, wow. And we were joking when I talked to him, he was, and I said, you know, my first question originally was going to be, are you okay, John? You know, because <laughs> you know, the person, the artist isn't the art, but a lot right. of that comes in. So for you talking about your childhood and, and abuse stuff, what was the calculus for you, Lincoln? Was it cathartic for you? Was it just something that you didn't think was going to happen? It was going to happen. So how did you get to that point that you wanted to share that musically? Um, you know, it definitely wasn't premeditated. Um, I, I, it, it was all sort of happening for me in real time. I had sort of hit a wall in, in my, in my mental state and, and my, the coping mechanisms that I had weren't working anymore. And through that and sort of therapy and that sort of journey, I, I came to have some realizations about why I was struggling in the way that I was. And at a certain point it was with a song called how to escape. That is, I think the second song on that record, trembling frames. When that song came out, it was it it laid it all pretty pretty bare, right? And that was a new thing for me. I a lot of my my records up to that point and my songwriting was more, you know, the lyrics were more impressionistic or elliptical, and this was the first time that I was just sort of you know telling it like it was, and it just felt right. It just felt like something I had to do, and it wasn't necessarily a popular thing, right? I I believe that for the people for whom that music is made, it it is a good thing, right? I believe that it's really really important for people to talk about these things because a lot of people go through some version of what I went through, and it's it's very isolating experience, and it's and it's full of shame. Um, and I, and it's nothing to be ashamed of, right? Because these things happen to us. We don't, we don't bring them on ourselves and we're left to, to make of it what we will, right? We still have to carry on living and, uh, and try and build the best life possible. So I, it, I felt like it was important to leave that in the music and not obscure it with a bunch of, uh, a, a bunch of, um, metaphor and, and artifice, uh, even though it probably was a little alienating for people that either couldn't relate, which God bless them, that's awesome if you can't relate, or B, aren't ready to face things like that, that are quite honestly are pretty ugly. And that's perfectly understandable too, right? I, I, I wouldn't have faced it if I didn't have to. Um, so yeah, it was more just like I was kind of following my, following my instincts. And I, I believe that ultimately they've led me to where I am today, which I'm really happy with. No, absolutely. You know, um, I grew up, my father was an alcoholic. Um, Sorry. And well, it happened, you know, it's just, you know, I tell people, because I don't know if you watch Mad Men at oh, all. Yeah. So yeah. my um, dad, uh, he was from that, he and Don Draper would have been just about the same age, almost oh, exactly wow. the same age. And he was one of those things where, um, he was from that generation where you went out and you had liquid lunches and you drank too much and you, <laughs> oh you know, you did all that stuff because that's how you, that's how you dealt with it. You know, and you did not talk about what bothered you as a, a um, man, you can't talk about those things. Right. Um, and I, but I was very fortunate that I had, he was not a violent drunk that's and good. he was not mean or anything, but he, his whole life, like it just fell apart. 
his, mm. his whole, he was a university professor and it just all went, and this is right. And when I'm in high school, like it's just coming to a head where I'm very unsure of myself and stuff like that. So I guess mm. what I'm trying to say is I think we, the Facebook of the world or the Instagram, we, we put these faces on, you know, right. these brave faces about, Hey, we're perfect. And look how wonderful my life is. But a lot of people go through struggle mm -hmm. um, and it, it reverberates through your life a long time. It, it may never, ever go away. Right. No, I believe that that wound is, um, it, I mean, it's not something to be to pursue. That's for certain, right? Like pain will come to you in life that and I believe that is universal. Um, but there's gold in there, right? Like, ultimately, that wound can become your place of greatest strength. If you if you are brave enough to to kind of face that and maybe that's not the right way to put it because i don't believe that it's something that you anyone who survives can really take full credit for uh certainly you have to find the strength in yourself to carry on and 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 work through some of these things but there are a lot of people that don't make it through uh these experiences and it's not because they're weak uh, or not because the people that do are better it's i i don't know what to call that i guess i call it grace even though i'm not a religious man yeah no, I, I think we all just trying to do our best, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, this is this has been a lot of fun. I, I always and I, I knew when you I read your bio and I looked at you and podcast stuff like I always love intellectual discussions. I think it's fun to have. I think it just it's more meaningful. So I appreciate that you are of the same vein and think. But let's 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 end on a couple happy notes real quick. So yeah, let's. so you're, you're doing this Midwest tour your plant like Evanston's a great college town. Obviously, Madison's a great college town um, uh, here. It's not really a college town, but it's a great music town and stuff. So yeah. what are you looking forward to this? This it's a pretty short tour for the Midwest. But what are you looking forward to? And, and people that are hearing it, you know, most of my people Lincoln are Kansas Cityans. I mean, when, yeah. you can listen to a podcast anywhere, but I'm thinking about 80% of the people listen to this are from Kansas City. So for people that are going to come see you at the mini bar and down on the show notes, I will have the link buy the tickets come out and see Lincoln. Um, what can they expect? Well, yeah. So as you said, we're playing at mini bar on March 9th. And we're sharing, I'm, there's a few things that I'm excited about, about visiting Kansas City in particular, and the, the two are all up, um, is seeing a lot of people that I haven't gotten to see in a long time, and haven't, some of them I haven't played music for ever, because I do have family ties and friends in the area. And in Kansas City in particular, I'm excited because my friend Dan Jones and his band, The Squids, are going to be playing with us. And Dan, I know from our both of our Northwest days. Um, I met Dan originally when he lived in Eugene, Oregon, and we played with The Squids uh, a handful of times in my band, Red Jacket Minded. And Dan's just good as gold. He's from Liberty, Missouri, originally. And he and Steve, um, who owns Mini Bar and Record Bar, uh, grew up together. So Steve's in the Squids as well. And I'm just really excited to play with those guys. And I haven't seen Dan in ages. And so I think it's going to be a really fun night. And as you mentioned, Fred Wickham and his band are playing as well. And I'm excited to hear them. But uh, it's it's going to be a great opportunity to, and I feel like the time is right for me, right? Like this this record, Forfeit the Prize, I'm really, really proud of. Um, it, it's, I think it's really, really true to where I am today. And I, I, I think that it's a great time to be out in the world and sharing this music and hopefully, uh, hopefully, you know, people get something out of it. I, I know I will. Absolutely. Well, it, it, this has been a ton of fun. Um, uh, and it's nice to meet yeah, you. you. I, I'm going to come to your show so you can see what I look like, Lincoln. I feel <laughs> I horrible. That. I that feel horrible. Awesome. 
it's just it's so stupid i'm like i i'm on zoom for my day job all the time i have no idea i just updated my computer you know where it forces you to put new software oh, yeah. in yeah and for some reason it's decided not to put my video on i don't know why it's really ridiculous but you think <laughs> think after i do this all the time for a year i mean talk about zoom hell i mean that my oh, whole yeah. life my whole day job went to zoom for a year and a half I believe it. But one of the things, so I do a theme question every year and you're probably going to be mad because the one was last year was what's a vinyl album I should have in my collection that I probably don't. I totally should have because I see all this vinyl behind you, but oh, yeah. that was last year. Okay. This year's question is, you know, musicians are on the road a ton. Um, and thankfully, as the world opens up, uh, we find that we're back on the road even more. And so what's what's your what's your travel hack? What's something that you do travel wise uh, that you are very 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 uh it makes it a little less sucky it makes it better for you what do you do well i i'm i think i have a couple of pieces of advice that are probably going to seem at odds with one another um and the first one is you know you've got to sleep a lot especially if you're a singer it's critical um and so you got to make sure that you're getting enough sleep as much as possible and drinking lots of water, eating okay, not you not drinking too much, all those sorts of things. It's pretty boring, but but very true. But the other thing is like, I, one thing that I really, really enjoy about traveling is the food mm. um, and getting, right? Like getting to kind of sample the best of, of wherever you're at. So that's a, my other recommendation is don't be afraid to try the hole in the wall place or the taco truck because it may be the, the best food you have on the whole tour. Um, and I've certainly had a lot of experiences like that. Well, this has been a ton of fun. I, I really appreciate the time. And like I said, I'm going to come out and see you Likewise. live. And I always put in the show links for how people do, you know, the tagline for this podcast is to go out and support live music. Live music awesome. does not exist unless people come and see you. Um, so right. please do it and uh, I, I enjoy the album a lot and safe Thank travels you. here and we'll, we'll see you soon awesome thank you Jamie I really really appreciate your time and the great questions and I'm looking forward to meeting you alright sir have a good day you too take All care right, bye bye forlorn for reasons he cannot discern deafly walk in a straight line focused on his task eager to find Find a mask. Troubled by questions he forgot to ask. Lincoln Bar, everybody. Again, the new album that came out last fall is called Forfeit the Prize. This is one of the tracks on it. Uh, it's really good. You know, it's interesting. I was going to say, kind of has a, like a little Joe Jackson slash Chet Baker. And I was like, well, I don't want to, you know, pigeonhole anybody. But then his PR person, one of the people that they listed was Chet Baker. So apparently I'm not the only one that hears that. Uh, that was great. I love conversations like that. Uh, go see it. So down in the show links, there's the link. You click on it. Buy tickets. Mini bar. If you show up, I'll tell you a funny mini bar story. One time I played there and a bunch of drunk people came on their birthday when we were playing when I was in my band Thunder Jacket. Okay, that's going to do it for this week. Um, and lastly, yes, my, my stupid camera <laughs> that I use literally all the time for the job and for the podcast, it decided not to work. Um, so, uh, Lincoln's a good guy. He, he just, I said, I'm so sorry. Um, so he got to stare at my picture for an hour. Poor bastard. Um, anyway, so go see him. Mini bar. Okay, next week, something completely different. We've got Florence Door. Now, Florence Door 
is super cool. Where, where were these professors when I was in college? I had a bunch of people that just weren't cool in lane. So Florence Dorr, not only is she a brilliant musician who has got music out, and we're going to talk about her music, but she's got a book out. It's, it's a group of essays about the connection between music and literature, which we kind of delved in a little bit on this episode. Next week with Florence, we're going to talk a ton about it. Um, so really looking forward to that. That's one week from today. Until then, go out. Actually support live music. We'll talk real soon. Bye-bye. Trail